Our Father, we look for that day when our Lord will return. We pray for its speedy coming. In the meantime, we ask now that the Spirit of the living God will fall upon us. He will open our minds to truth, the truth of your word, and you will change us by that truth. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please be seated. And take your Bibles and uh, turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the passage that we read together on the screen. And our focus this morning is verse 58, the last verse, which uh, Lee incorporated right into the singing of that final song, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. I want you to turn your Bibles to see this verse, and um, my message will be based on this this morning. So Paul wraps up the book and this incredible passage on the resurrection with these words, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. You probably might have a different translation, which says, be steadfast or be unmovable. Then it says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, or always abounding, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. At West Highland, we define a disciple as someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. In other words, if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus, the work of the Lord is something that you're involved in. It's something that you are committed to. You can't escape that truth. The work of the Lord, or the ministry as we sometimes refer to it, is not um, excluded to people like me who happen to be in full-time service as a pastor. It is for all of God's people, and verse 58, I believe, points that out. Paul does not say here that the apostles should be always abounding in the work of the Lord, or the pastors of the Corinthian church, or the deacons of that church, or the elders of that church should be always abounding in the work of the Lord. He writes these words to the whole congregation who are disciples of Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus, and he says, be always abounding in the work of the Lord. If we are Christians, if we are disciples, then we are servants, we are ministers of God, we are involved in some way or another in the work of the Lord. Now this theme of, of serving, of, of work, of the work of the Lord, um, it seems as though the last couple of weeks have just magnified this, particularly among the ministry, of the, the ministry team of the church. Is, We have been laboring over the past number of months to rebuild the ministries of our church after COVID, and and God has been giving um, success in that. Mention has already been made this morning to the ministry fair that is out there in the foyer immediately after worship. Uh, Basically, a a bunch of tables set up with the various ministry divisions within our church, Uh, an opportunity for you to just go out there and mingle and see what's on the tables and to find out how you can be involved both in receiving ministry and in ministering to others. And then with the death of, uh, of Queen Elizabeth this week and all of the emphasis on the fact that she had uh, served her people so very, very well, and as I made mention today, she really considered herself to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we got news uh, uh, earlier in the week that about from Ben and Krista Taylor, our missionaries in the Ukraine, that Ben, who has been laboring just profusely over the last number of months, 
um, helping uh, Ukrainians get settled in Poland and other areas and working with the churches in Poland to help them, um, he has suffered a stroke. And so uh, when, I, when I read that this week, I, I was reminded of what Paul says of a, of a worker by the name of Epaphroditus. And he's only given a mention maybe a couple of times in the Bible, but in Philippians, Paul mentions him. And he calls him a fellow soldier and a fellow worker. And Paul talks about the fact that, that he labored in the work of the Lord to the point where, where he lost his health because he was abounding in the work of the Lord. And I thought of Ben. And so I, I know that these individuals have been in our prayers uh, even this week. Verse 58, look at, look, at, look at it again, would you please? Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, be steadfast, be unmovable, let nothing move you. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. As we've honored Nancy today, we, we also, over the course of the last number of months, have been thinking of the 50th anniversary of our church. And, and it's come to mind just how many people uh, over the years have served here and uh, set a good example for us and laid a good foundation, rooted, strengthened. And um, so many people have served, and we have to build on this. Today, what I would like to do is just take a few moments to, to essentially answer three que questions out of this text. The first would be, what does the work of the Lord mean? Paul uses the phrase here. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. What specifically is Paul saying here? What does he mean? Secondly, um, why is it that he adds this promise? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not useless. It's not futile. Uh, it's impactful. Why, why does he add that? What, why is that the case? And then how is it that we can always be abounding in the work of the Lord? How is it that abounding in the work of the Lord is possible, particularly when we consider the fact that when you serve the Lord, there are so many discouragements along the way. Now, these are not points for the message this morning. They're simply questions that I hope I'll be able to answer as we look at this text. So what does the work of the Lord, the work of the Lord mean? When we consider God's work, I mean, our minds might immediately go to Genesis chapter 1, and God created the world. And six days he labored, on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, God rested. So we might think of the work of the Lord as his work of creation. And there is certainly some truth to that. But, but how can we be abounding in that work when that work in one sense is already finished? He's already created the world. It's true that he continues to sustain the world. But, but some would say, well, it says in Genesis 1 that, that we are given dominion over the earth. And so in one sense, all human beings are involved in the work of the Lord, and that is that we have dominion over the earth. We are, as it were, the pinnacle of God's creation, and, and the, the, the animal kingdoms of the world in one sense are under us. This means that we have to be careful resources of everything that God has entrusted to the human race. And so in one sense, the preservation of creation environmental concerns, caring for animals, and so on. All of these kinds of things would, would certainly be a part of the work of the Lord. Others would take it a step further and point out that, that we, all human beings, have been made in God's image, and the Bible is filled with all kinds of commands as to how we should relate to one another. 
In other words, if you take the Ten, the ten command, Commandments, four of them pertain to our relationship to God, and the other six pertain to our relationship to each other. So when the Bible says you shall not steal, or you shall not bear false witness, or you shall not commit adultery, if we believe that another individual is made in the image of God, then we won't do those things because that is, that is hurting the image bearers of God. So all of these ethical commandments that are given in the Bible, and there are many of them, how we should relate to one another, even issues of social just, just, justice, which are of a concern to many of us, and we have taken a stand as a local church on a number of social justice issues about the right to life, about the unborn, about the mistreatment of indigenous peoples, and so on. We, we've, we've, we've stated ourselves in those areas because we see that as a part of our, of our calling as human beings to care for God's creation and to love those whom God has created regardless of their, back, their backgrounds. But is that really what Paul's getting at here when he says the work of the Lord? In one sense, that's the broader thing, but I think Paul's speaking more specifically not about our duty as human beings to all of humanity and to all of creation, but Paul is writing to a particular local church, the Corinthian church. And he's saying that this particular local church has a work from God to do. And Paul, in his letter, he's not, he's not writing about these, these broader concerns. Rather, he is talking about the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So just to put a little quote up on the screen for you, um, the work of the Lord refers to what disciples do to advance the gospel among unbelievers and to establish disciples in the gospel. Now, that, that I think, is what Paul is really getting at here. If you, if, you, if you just move down to chapter 16, you go down to chapter 16, look at verse 10. For the second time in Corinthians, he uses this phrase, the work of the Lord, and he does it in reference to a man named Timothy, a young man who Paul had discipled and who became a leader in the church. Verse 10, if Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. And so the whole context here is one of, of, of sharing the gospel, reaching unbelievers with the gospel of Jesus, and then establishing those believers in gospel truths. Let's consider the context of the whole book, not just the immediate in chapter 15 and 16, but if we went back to chapter 3, Paul writes about a division that was in the Corinthian church. There were, there were some of the Corinthian believers who, who really loved Apollos, and, and there were some who loved Cephas or Peter, and there were others who, who were following Paul, and they were kind of arguing among themselves because they had their favorite Christian leader. Some said, I'm of Paul. Some said, I'm of Peter. Some said, I'm of Apollos. So there was this, this faction going on, this factional thing within the, within the church, kind of, a, kind of, a, kind of a, a Christian hero worship that was happening within the context of the church. And Paul, Paul writes, and he, he just rebukes them for that. And he says, you know, basically, that's, that's the way the world holds people up in celebrity status. And, and Paul says, that's, that's not what... That's not what we should be doing. And then he asks this question, chapter 3, verse 5. He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? He doesn't even say, who are they? 
who is Apollos or who is Paul, but what is Apollos? What is Paul? It's a, it's a rebuke in the form of a, quest, a question, and then he answers it. He says, they are only servants through whom you came to believe. That's all they were. Yes, some individual may have been involved in bringing you to faith in Christ, but he's only a servant. The important thing is Christ. And so Paul says, I planted the seed, and Apollos watered the seed, but God made it grow. God made the gospel grow in your hearts. God made faith grow in your hearts. Paul had a part in it. Apollos had a part in it. But, but we're only servants through whom you came to believe. You see, he's talking about the work of the Lord. He's talking about people coming to faith in Christ and being built up in Christ. Then if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you may just want to turn back there now. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is a passage where the Apostle Paul talks about speaking in tongues and prophesying and connected to chapter 12, he ties it in with all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit has given various gifts to the church, to you and I. And in 1 Corinthians 12, he makes it very, very clear that the manifestation is given to everyone for the sake of the whole body. So there, there is some way in which the Holy Spirit is going to manifest himself through you individually in the church. You have a unique gifting and a unique calling. You, you, God has wired you in a certain way, and, and the Holy Spirit is going to manifest his presence in the church through you as you use the gift that he has given to you, and that gift is to be used to build up the church. Now, again, in the Corinthian church, there was this controversy about speaking in tongues and so on, and Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians 14. And if you read the passage clearly, you will see that Paul is quite critical of those who were focusing on the gift of tongues. And he points out that all they were really doing in the context in the Corinthian church was they were building up themselves. It was like, I got this little gift that I can use, and you don't have it. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, notice what he says. Excel in the gifts that, that do what? Build up the church. Build up the church. So in the midst of dealing with this difficulty in the church, Paul is also implying that you and I have these gifts that God has given to us, and we're to use those gifts to build up the church. In other words, we're involved, according to this definition here, in establishing disciples in the gospel through the use of the different gifts that the Lord gives to us. Now, look at chapter 15. I want you to go to verse 49. Now, Paul's talking about the resurrection at the end, the resurrection body, but he's talking in a general sense about the gospel and the salvation that you and I possess. Verse 49, we didn't read this verse this morning, but we'll read it now. And just as we have borne the, the likeness of the earthly man, who's the earthly man? It's Adam, the first man. You and I have borne his likeness. You and I are made like him. You, you and I have that nature that Adam had, that sinful nature. We bear the likeness of Adam, and that means we die. The Bible makes it clear, for in Adam all die. Because Adam was a sinner and we're sinners and, and the wages of sin is death. 
We all bear that image, that likeness of the earthly man. But look at the next line, the next phrase. So shall we, that is believers, bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Isn't that great? We're going to bear the likeness of the man from heaven. That's Jesus. And Paul goes on in the following verses, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. Notice the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We will be changed. We're going to be changed to bear the image of the man from heaven. We will receive a body like the body of our Lord Jesus Christ when he rose again from the grave. So you see, Paul here is, is, is talking about a goal and the, the, the work of the Lord refers to what disciples do to advance the gospel, that is to bring people to faith in Christ, but also to, uh, to establish disciples in the gospel. Those who come to faith in Christ are estab- established so they, they, they are saved, but God continues to work in them and ultimately the, at the end we will bear the likeness of the man from heaven. In other words, the, the activities of the work of the Lord, all of the various things that we do to advance the gospel and establish people in the gospel has a goal in mind. And that goal is the image of Jesus. That we have been saved by God so that God will bring into us the very image of Jesus. We will see him, John says, and we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. So the work of the gospel, the work of the Lord is is everything we do to establish people in the faith and build them up in the faith and strengthen them in the faith. Now the next thing I want you to notice here is I've already pointed out at the beginning of the message that the Apostle Paul here assumes that all of us are involved in this. He says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. He talks about himself in in this letter. He talks about Timothy. He talks about Apollos. But now he says, all of us. And again, that takes us back to what he talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, where where the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, given to everyone. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit reference to the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, a reference to Jesus. There are different kinds of working, but the same God, a reference to the Father, works all of them in all of us. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it were, are are working, and they're working through us in the work of the gospel. Now, some of you might think immediately, well, okay, John, this, this is a bit lofty for me. Um, I, I've never brought anyone to faith in Christ, and, and I've never had an opportunity to disciple someone in Christ, and I don't even know if I'm gifted in those areas, and, and you have a teaching gift and a preaching gift and a communication gift, and so of course I get it that a pastor is doing that, but, but I, 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 I think that what I... I think I'm insignificant. But friends, when Paul lists the various gifts of the Spirit, you you see there that some of them are word-related, that is, communicating God's Word. But others are, are gifts that are more 
can I say, work-related or, or practical in nature. He talks about the gift of helps, helping people. He, he, he talks about the gift of administration, organizing things. He talks about the gift of discernment, being able to discern what's good and bad and right and wrong, or what's from God and what is not from God. He, he, he has a whole pile of different gifts that he lists here because he's pointing out that, 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 that all of these gifts in some way or another are contributing to advance the gospel and to building and establishing believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what does Paul do in 1 Corinthians 12? He, he, he gives us the metaphor of the body, that you and I are the body of Jesus Christ. And, and, he, and, and he actually addresses this issue where some members of the body are going to say, I'm, I'm useless, I'm not significant at all. And Paul says, can the eye say to the hand, I have no need of you? Of course not. The eye needs the hand, and the hand needs the eye, and, 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 and the head needs the feet. And In other words, there are certain parts of the body that are not out there. They may be covered. They may be behind the scenes. I was talking with Joachim before worship started today, and he got me my mic, got me all set up. He's sitting up there smiling right at the moment, smiling right at me. And I just said, said to him, Yoakam, I, I appreciate what you guys do in our sound crew. Don't you appreciate it? Yeah. yeah let's. If, if he didn't wire me up on Sunday morning, I'd have nothing to say, or I, I'd have a lot to say, but I couldn't say it. So, so, so there, there's, there's a gift that's being used behind the scenes, but, but isn't it advancing the gospel? Amen. And we can say that about so many other ministries in the church. It's interesting in Acts chapter 6, another problem happens in the church, in the Jerusalem church, because the widows were being overlooked, at least the the Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked in the church. There were Hebrew-speaking and Greek-speaking widows. And and this this could have been a, a big issue, almost like a racism kind of an issue, an ethnic issue. Oh, you're really caring for the Jewish or the, the Hebrew-speaking widows, but the Greek-speaking, ah, they're being neglected. And the apostles address the issue, and they say, you know, we, we as apostles don't, essentially said, we don't, we don't have time to deal with this because we're, we're consumed with the ministry of the word and prayer. We've got to be out there preaching and leading the church. We got a solution, though. Let's, let's appoint seven spirit-filled men who are very wise And let's let them look over this ministry to the widows. You see, what they did in looking after the widows, the Greek-speaking widows, it enhanced the unity of the church in that a particular ethnic group of the church weren't feeling left out now. They felt like they were a part of the body. But it not only enhanced the unity of the church, it enhanced the ministry of the church because now the apostles weren't getting bogged down with these things. They could use their gifts in another area and people who were gifted in another area could look after the widows. You see, it advanced the gospel. It it built the church up. There are ministries of support behind the scenes. I don't know if you're aware of this, but for years in our former church, my wife was in charge of the nursery of the church. She was very involved in the the nursery. And her, her mindset was, she wasn't down there every Sunday morning with the kids. If she was, she would have gone crazy. But, but she was down there from time to time, and she gave oversight to it. And, and her mindset was, if, if, I can, if I can provide this ministry to a young couple who've got a small kid, then that couple can go upstairs into the auditorium, and they can 
hear the word of God preached, and they can pray and sing God's praises and be built up in their faith, be established in the gospel, then looking after kids in the nursery is worth it, you see. You see, Paul assumes that we're all going to be involved. But, but there's an exhortation here. Be steadfast, be unmovable, give yourselves fully, be always abounding in the work. Like, don't just engage a little, but give yourselves fully, be abounding in the work of the Lord. But there's an encouragement that goes with the exhortation. And the encouragement is because it says here, you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I confess to you, I'm not, I'm not always abounding in the work of, of the Lord. You, you employ me as, as the lead pastor of the church, but I have to confess to you that I'm not always like there all the time. Like I'm not always super excited. Maybe it's because I'm getting old. Maybe it's because of the sinfulness of my own heart. Maybe it's because there are times that it does seem to me like the work of the Lord is being done in vain. Because sometimes you can pour your life into someone and work with someone really close and then all of a sudden they shipwreck their faith and they walk away from Jesus and you just you kind of go, wow. In spite of all the effort and all the labor, the labor some of you know that my best friend was a man by the name of Don Grady who died when he was 31. Missionary to North Africa. Six months after being in Fez, Morocco, he contracted hepatitis B and within weeks he was dead. He died, left his wife and a six-month-old daughter. He trained at seminary to be a missionary, had a passion to reach Muslims with the gospel of Christ. And to our knowledge, in Morocco, he never saw one individual come to faith in Christ. There are some people minister in very, very hard places. So we think <laughs> it's in vain. It seems like it's in vain when people shipwreck their faith and walk away from Jesus. But Paul says our labor in the Lord, get this, is not in vain. It's not futile. It's not useless. Oh, why can he say that? Like, like we read that and go, okay, well, why? Why isn't our work in the Lord, the work of the gospel, not in vain? Well, friends, you've got to go back to the verses that precede verse 58, because it's embedded right there in the text. Because from verse 50 on, he talks about the resurrection of the dead. He, the first part of the passage, he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus is the first fruits of those who have come alive. And, and, and Paul says, now, here's what's going to happen next, because Jesus Christ has come out of the grave. This is the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again. That's the message of the gospel. That's what the work of the Lord is all about. It's about communicating the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and all of the blessings of salvation that come to us because of what Christ has done for us by the cross and through his empty tomb. 
But notice what he says here. He, he's talking about our bodies being changed. Verse 51, we, we, we will not all sleep. We will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised. Not just raised, but raised what? Imperishable. Not raised to die again. But raised to never die again. Hallelujah. The perishable must clothe itself, verse 53, with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Now, when this happens, Paul says, and it's going to happen at the coming of our, our Lord Jesus, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. What is that saying? Death has been swallowed up in victory. The word victory is found three times in this passage. Verse 55, where, O oh death, is your victory? Do you realize that that's a poem? And it's a poem of mockery. Where, O oh death, is your victory? We look around us, and death is victorious every day. We look around us all over our world. It seems as though death is victorious constantly. But here the Apostle Paul mocks death because the victory of death is gone. Verse 57, thanks be to God, he gives us, we who will be changed, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why the work of the Lord is not in vain, despite of all of the discouragements that come in serving the Lord, even in the context of a local church, the reason why it is not in vain is because gospel work is untouched by death. Untouched. You and I, friends, are in the victory over death business because we are in Christ who has conquered death. We have crossed over from death to life. And so the message that we bring is the message, the work of the Lord is all about, about the gospel, is about this, that those who believe in Him will never perish, but will have eternal life. And so Paul says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting is gone. It is gone. So when Paul says in verse 58, be steadfast, be unmovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, he's saying it's all because of this truth of the gospel that we are victorious over death, that, that a relationship with Jesus changes everything in terms of death. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, Jesus said. For he is the resurrection and the life. To be steadfast means to be seated. That means to be seated in this truth. To be immovable means essentially the same thing. The same thing. It's just more intensely. And we are to allow this truth of our victory in Christ over death to renew our mind. And when we do, the gospel will change everything, and we will always want to be abounding in the work of the Lord. One of the great preachers of the last 
hundred years was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones at Westminster Chapel in London. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones tells the story of visiting a man one day who'd been a part of his church, but he was in depression for years. And Martin Lloyd-Jones went to visit him to help him, and he began to counsel him. And the man had been in the Royal Navy in the First World War and was in a submarine in the Mediterranean, and that submarine had been torpedoed. And he talked of his experience. He said, he says, we were hit. And he said, down we went to the bottom of the Mediterranean. And Martin Lloyd-Jones said to him then, what happened next? And the man was just overcome with this, what what had happened, the trauma of what had happened. Clearly, it was post-traumatic stress. Down we went to the bottom of the Mediterranean. Lloyd-Jones asked him again, well, what happened next? Pastor, we just went down to the bottom of the Mediterranean. He was living at the bottom of the Mediterranean. He had forgotten that he'd been rescued. He had forgotten that he had been raised, as it were, out of the death of the tomb of a submarine in the Mediterranean Sea. See, that's where our minds need to go. A hundred years from now, we will all be with the Lord Jesus. And on the day of resurrection, we will receive a new and glorious body. And we will never die. Hallelujah. So, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. If you're a father, this has application to you. Because you are the priest, you are the pastor of your home. And you have, you have kids who need to hear this message and see it lived out in you. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord when it comes to your kids, when it comes to your wife. If you're a business owner, this applies to you. You may not see your business as the work of the Lord, that is spreading the gospel, but, but, but your witness as a business owner and the way you relate to those who are your employees, how you treat them, how you care for them, how you pay them, how you speak to them, and then the opportunities that the Lord will give to you as you pray for them, that you might bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. This applies to you. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. If you're a mother, a stay-at-home mother, and, and there are other mothers who you associate with and connect with, Plus your kids, this applies to you. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord in terms of your friends and neighbors and others who you associate with. If you're a student, it applies to you. If, if you're an employee, this applies to you. You say, yeah, but my work has nothing to do with the gospel. Friend, your work has everything to do with the gospel. God has placed you where he has placed you in life in order that you might shine like light and be salt there for the glory of Christ. If you're a community group leader, your, your work is, is to encourage and, and to establish people with the goal, with that goal in mind, that those who meet in my living room as I, as I lead them in discussion around the Word of God, the goal is to see them become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I was really encouraged just talking to Pastor Lee this past week, and he, I asked him, when does choir start up? Friends, choir is going to be starting soon. Isn't that great? And orchestra too. And for those of you, we're looking so forward to having you up here 
to having you be with us and to lead us in worship, but, but, but you have a gift. You, you've got some musical gifts, but listen, listen. Don't, don't be thinking that, oh, this is just the way to express myself. This is the way to use my gift. No, no. See what you're about to do as leading the people of God in praise. That the gifts that God has given to you are going to be used to enhance the worship of God so that God's people might connect with God and be renewed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, this verse, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, pertains to what Phil, Ed, and Lisa shared with us this morning about paying down the mortgage of the church. You say, John, that's really a stretch. You're just trying to get in something about money right at this point in time. Well, yeah, I am, but it's in the text. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. After he says, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, what's the next thing he says? Now about the collection for God's people. See that? It's right there. It's right there. We gave of our money to build this place so that the work of the Lord could happen in this place. And we're going to pay down our mortgage because we want to then take the money that we would normally give to mortgage payment and to channel it into ministry in the work of the Lord. Amen? It's all about this. Yes, you can clap. You should clap. Good. And everyone who just clapped, you committed yourselves to a very substantial <laughs> gift. Prayer groups in the church. Wow. That's always abounding in the work of praying for the work of the spread of the gospel. In a few weeks' time, we'll be offering our First Steps class to many of you who are new to our church. And, and it's an opportunity for you to come in and get to know the church, understand what makes us tick, become a member of the church, and, and then begin to use your gifts in service here. And then the ministry fair outside. There's so much more that I could say. But friends, we believe the gospel. And the gospel has changed us. And this gospel, it's not just a past tense change. This gospel is continuing to change us because one day we are going to bear the image, the likeness of the man from heaven in resurrected bodies that will never die. So everything we do for the Lord in advancing this gospel message is never, ever in vain. Please stand. Lord, thank you um, that I was able to share from my heart today. Lord, you've done a great thing this year. You've regathered your people. That regathering is still happening. You're, you're rebuilding the ministries of our church. You're helping us to now refocus our vision into the year beyond this 50th anniversary year. And we're so excited about what you are doing. In the midst of all that we have gone through these past two years, we have sensed your presence and your power, and we have seen people come to Christ. Lord, I want to praise you this morning for the 47 individuals who this summer have crossed over from death to life. Through the witness of your people here, through the work of interns, through the, through the ministry team, through, through all of us who've been praying, Lord, you have gathered in an incredible harvest, and we praise the name of the Lord Jesus, the Savior of the world for all that you have done. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you that the work of the Lord is carrying on here. And Lord, I pray that in these coming days we will be so engaged in your work that you will continue to bring people from death to life. For the glory of your great name, I pray for Jesus' sake.
Amen.